welcome back to Flow Space. This is the original Autism Dialogue podcast and um, I'm very pleased to be relaunching it again, this time with an interview with Reese Finlay, who's a graphic artist and author and he's about to launch a memoir all about his journey to diagnosis as autistic and he's got some really interesting and exciting stuff to talk about. Uh, I'll leave you to have a listen and enjoy this episode. Cheers. How's it going? Um, good. It's been a very tiring few weeks. It's. Yeah. I mean, you've you've had experience with crowdfunding yourself. It's. Yeah. It's an intense period of time. Yeah. In which to do all of that. And it's even the road to it is really intense as well. So then you've got this big explosion on the first day, and then it's about keeping that momentum, and that's the the really tiring bit. Yeah. Well, it seems to be going well. Surprisingly well. Um, I mean, the support from the community has been absolutely overwhelming, and not to mention quite a few celebrities, respected peers in there. I mean, Steve, Steve Silverman, who you've had on the show. Yeah. He was really supportive. Um, Neil Gaiman tweeted out last week. That was oh, wow. absolutely mind blowing. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's hopefully going from strength to strength, and you know, hopefully this show as well will wind up some new audience. It's a case of yeah, trying to reach out to different avenues now because I think yeah, all of my followers, it's kind of if they are going to back, they've backed by now. So it's really trying to broaden that demographic and meet new people along the way. Okay, so, um, um, well, I've got, um, I've got kind of a, a loose format. Um, I mean, we could end up including this. I've just noticed you've got a, is that a labyrinth poster? Yeah, it's a really nice little, like, collage print of it. Where are you, anyway? Um, so I'm Coventry-based, which is uh, almost, yeah. a de- you know, I'm in walking distance of, like, the plinth. It's the dead centre of the UK. Well, England. Yeah, it'll be England right now, the UK. But yeah, it's it's an interesting black hole of culture. And I mean, we've just got the city of culture bid and you look around and the city is, it's really struggling from council cuts and budget cuts. For, yeah. We're in a position now where the town centre has permanent tents and mattresses in doorways for homeless people because they close the shelters and they do nothing to help these people. And it's shocking to see it just slide into disrepair and at the same time it kind of boasts that it's somehow this cultural hub of the UK when I, I would argue that it isn't I mean we we do have we have some great artists and you know some great musicians coming out of here we invented well we didn't invent but two-tone a lot of that came from us um you know in, in terms of comics we've got a lot of comic shops and studios and kind of like a little arts district for that but even that feels a little bit struggling i shouldn't really be bad mouthing these things but it's it's a shame i want to see that sort of thing thrive and i think it just it just kind of misses the mark in terms of how it markets itself and well hey let's hope it's some kind of incentive uh, yeah absolutely i mean i assume when you get a city of culture bid you get a lot of money and hopefully they pour that into the right resources that are already there yeah. rather than start something new because in my experience, when a <laughs> when a town or city gets arts funding, you get just a bunch of like, is it bears or animals statues, and they get artists to paint them, and they leave a hundred of them around the town. Every, every town has done that, and I'm, I can just I can see it coming for our town, and it's worrying. <laughs> so surprisingly, I mean, for me, any support I have, none of it has came from my hometown, which is quite yeah quite a shame. But I guess you, local press and stuff, unless it's about an issue with the wheelie bins, they're not interested. So I'm I'm going to just strap a copy of my book to a wheelie bin and push it down a hill. <laughs> then then they'll pay attention. There's a creative ideas there always. You have to live it. You have to live creatively. Yeah, I mean, obviously I've I've lived here all my life, so I don't really know what it'd be like in another town to find sort of inspiration and encouragement to do that um 
so I would be curious to maybe spend some time in other places. I'm trying to get more into like London way because I, yeah, as as a writer and it just seems all the careers opportunities are there, and obviously being autistic, London for me is just sensory overload from every single direction. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to talk about with with sensory overload and and cities and 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 I work from home most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, and I. I'd assume that's quite a common theme for a lot of autistic people that yeah and I mean there's so many horror stories about workplace behavior and stuff that has had such a negative impact yeah. on people like us and it's it's a shame and it's I think it's about trying to crack the formula of how to address that and how to fix it because um, I think there's a lot of autism friendly workplaces where what they mean by that is we identify that you could be really good at certain things and we'd like to exploit that. And that's equally scary. I think there's, there's definitely a balance to be found. Um, yeah. I think a lot of times you'll get, because it's obviously a non-physical disability, typically, yeah. you'll, you won't get special treatment and they'll make quite a big deal of saying, you're not going to get special treatment. We're going to treat you like everyone else. Yeah. And on, you know, on one day that could be really good to be, part of the gang but then on days when it's a struggle you do need a little bit of help and this is where the understanding this is where the dialogue needs to come up because it's such a broad subject and then that's where the problem lies it's always going to be a case-by-case basis and i think both on like a higher level with the charities and the organizations fighting mm. for it mm. and on you know on the surface level on places like twitter in they want a black and white answer they want the extremes and it's really frustrating when i think everyone even the people fighting for it know that the truth lies in the middle and these polemics are quite damaging to an extent um i mean with the book i've had people who've had review copies and stuff and said you're being really unclear here are you saying that it's a disability are you saying that it's a superpower yeah and it's neither well it's neither and it's both it's the truth's in the middle i mean You know, I work from home, I struggle to leave the house some days. Yeah. But also I've got the drive and motivation to make such a big detailed book in six, seven months I did it in. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's always this there's room for a dialogue with every single person and it's about catering to those needs. And I understand how that can be overwhelming. You know, for some something like the NHS that's already struggling like it is, to have to break it down into these individual personal cases working yeah. out what the person is what their needs are and then cater to his needs that's a huge task and i don't know i i don't have the answer but hopefully opening this dialogue will lead to someone finding the answer well well i think the answer is as likely as what's the answer to the meaning of life you know i really do if for me i mean that's why i'm interested in in one thing you said um, on uh, on your um, Kickstarter page, actually, about losing your identity overnight, and I know I know you mentioned some harrowing events led to that, but what did you exactly mean? And it's really good because it's really good that I've got we've got an organic flow to this because I did have a list and 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 um, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about this a bit later. And talk about the um, comic stuff first, but we can do it the other way around. It's cool. I'm happy just to jam and flow. I think this is a better yeah. way to generate content. Do you mind if I smoke as well? Not at all, do you? That. Thanks, man. Um, You're not yeah, in the same room. It's not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly gonna be passive smoking. It's a very but... new thing for me. It's, this is in the book as well, actually. I think, uh-huh. and this ties into your question about identity and understanding of who one is. I think. So there was a one-year wait between. Between the, so there was like a perfect storm, okay, of drama in my life, which led to the GP making a referral during a mental health crisis. Yeah, um, and that's a tricky one to talk about. Um, uh, yeah. Obviously, one being comfortable talking about that sort of thing, and then two, for about fifty percent of the stuff that happened, I'm now under an NDA, and that makes it really tricky to actually. Yeah, that's that's something else I was going to ask about. Is that because of the book? Um, no, it's completely separate. It was um, oh, right. 
Uh, what can I say? Okay. Workplace tribunal, let's leave it at that. Yeah. Um, so, okay. yeah, so it's tricky trying to navigate the book in a way that's both honest, but also making sure I don't go against any legal agreements I'm now in. Um, right. But yeah, so the one-year wait between the referral and the diagnosis, Yeah. I got vaguely educated on what the condition was. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think we're talking Wikipedia level of understanding, yeah. which I now realise is quite unreliable. <laughs> well, well, the other end of the scale, I went to university and I, I jumped on the MA autism. After one, after, after one year, I was drowning, so I, I left oh. the PG cert. Um, so yeah, I, I I was ready for it. I was braced. I was like, okay, I I understand what the symptoms and manifestations of the condition are, and I realised that I fit that mould. I'm probably going to get this diagnosis. But even when the second she said, "You're autistic," I got a little slip of paper. It it hit me, and it was. And that, I think that's what the book was trying to work out: why it hit me so hard when I should have kind of expected it, and I. The reality is nothing changed. I'm still the me I've been. And yeah. what's this piece of paper doing? Yeah. Just over me. And it's, it felt like my thoughts and my opinions were no longer of worth because they were tainted by this condition. And that's a very negative mindset to go into yeah. with it. And, I spe- and as time went on, it was a bad place to be. And I started processing it the only way I knew how, which was little comic strips about that time which then grew into the book. And then it became a case of researching. Because I I didn't want to write from a position of ignorance. While I still think it's important to write from my perspective, um, (laughs) I think we mentioned about three times throughout the book, but this is from a first-person perspective. It's not a guide. It's not me telling anyone what to do, because as we were saying, it's such a broad diverse condition that needs to be a case-by-case basis if you write something as a guide and you're not i'm not qualified (laughs) so i'm in no position to be giving out advice from that level of authority where i'm publishing a book that's claiming to be some sort of life-changing help book yeah i mean on a good day that's completely pointless (laughs) because the only person it really completely applies to is me but then on a bad day it can be incredibly dangerous because if you're reading it thinking this guy is a position of authority, I can trust him, I can you know, follow this advice, and something yeah. bad happens, that's Got you. that's unfathomable. And that would be a huge concern of mine. And I it still see. is. Yeah, you mentioned, I think you mentioned that on your on your page as well, that about it being dangerous. Absolutely. And then I'm not a huge fan of like content warnings and trigger warnings. Yeah. Obviously, in this context, where there are vulnerable people reading things, yeah. it needs to be put out there. It's rock, rock solid. You understand that this is quite sensitive subjects we're handling. I think that's really, I think that's a really conscientious position that I haven't considered, and I, I did mention to you I'm writing my book. I, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, good. I mean, all it takes is a disclaimer at the start to. Mm. Just clarify that. Um, but due to my experiences, I was reading, um, ironically, a book formatted as a guide. It's called An Adult with an Autism Diagnosis by Gill and Drew. And that well, seems to... It's, it doesn't get much talk online amongst the communities. But if you were to walk into a Waterstones, which is where this all started coming together for me, that's kind of the only one directly for adults. If you're lucky, they'll have a copy of Neurotribes or like them... Is it an idiot's guide to, or no, autism for dummies, and that one covers adults a little bit. But you know it's... Luke Bearden one. Who? Sorry. Luke Bearden. Okay, I don't recall seeing that one on the shelves. Yeah, it's it came out uh, about eighteen months ago. It's he's one of the tutors at Hallam here on the course. Um, he runs it in London as well for Hallam, but it's called um, um, Adults with Asperger's, I think. Okay, I've definitely got on that one. It's a really nice little comprehensive guide, yeah. Because that's when I had the the light bulb moment for the book. I was, you know, I'm I'm in Waterstones. Eighty percent of that autism shelf is for kids and for parents of kids, yeah. which is wonderful for them. 
it's great to hear. Hopefully they're good books and none of them are contradicting each other. But that's not a road I want to go down right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I saw this big gap for books aimed at adults or people with a late diagnosis like me. And it's there's a lot of books out there, but I think you have to really scratch the surface to get to them. Yeah, and I think this is the issue with how we need this accessible level. For, you know, when I first got the diagnosis, I was lost and I needed that yeah. sort of material to help and it just wasn't readily available until you spend a lot of time in the community but once you spend a lot of time in the community you probably don't need them as much as you did back then yeah um but i, I don't know i think with the but it's a, it's part of the community what you're contributing oh absolutely but i'd like to think that i can also just not me personally i think i think we're about to see a big wave of books i think neurodiversity is definitely a hot topic with everything that's going on in the media with greta and just the, the way the conversation's starting to turn. Um, I mean, it's an interesting one on just to be in the confines of Twitter yeah. as a movement because it is a lot of just voices shouting at each other. Yeah. <laughs> but then I think in the outside world, we're, we're just on the cusp of it breaking out into something big. I mean, I'd argue that we had a lot of mental health-based books and media in recent years and... I don't want to use the word fad, but it was certainly in the zeitgeist, and I think publishers knew that that was the, the product they wanted to put out to yeah. have a critical hit. And I think this is where neurodiversity is going, and I really want to be at the vanguard of that with my book. Yeah. And then I think in two, three years, if we have this conversation again, there's going to be tons of books, and that's going to be a really positive thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I want to see... I see my book as a part of something that's going to be this just cascade of really important books, hopefully all from a first-person perspective. So so the book then is, is obviously that's what, what hooked me. That's what what's why we're talking. Um, and um, I wasn't, I've never been a big comic fan, although like I'm probably older than you and I was reading stuff like Warlord Annual when I was a kid, you know, there was a lot of a lot of the kind of things I think might have even been can't have been pre Marvel, but um yeah, I, I think I struggled with the intensity of the colour and the way you <laughs> never quite tell which box was next and Yeah, there's like. a weird science to trying to understand, especially when you get deep into the superheroes and the artists try and get quite fancy and it's that's great. Um my comics are very simple in this one compared to stuff I've done in the past. Mm. Um, and the other problem is when, if you say comic book to someone, they immediately think superhero. Mm. And I think that's a little bit of an issue that that format has. Mm. It'd be a bit like if I said to you film and immediately all you think of is Westerns and everything else is filtered out. Yeah. Um, but there's a huge world of, you know, autobiographical stuff. Um, I mean, there's half of that shelf behind me is like, more, less superhero stuff and more. Well, yeah, so what I'm interested in is um, social commentary. And I know I might sound like a person with a fine art degree, because I am. But And, and I know that um, we did touch upon it at, at some point. There was an opportunity for me to, to look at it from a social commentary point of view, um, because medium is media is that you know, whatever creative media is, it's, it's doing, it's saying something about. So obviously you've 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 hit a, a, um, extremely personal and extremely topical um, issue, um, and and I think for me it's what's interesting is that um, I don't quite know. I think it's just the way that the way that it's visual. It kind of detaches, although you although you um, seem to be um, addressing something really serious, with the with the fact that it's cartoonish, for want of a better word, it it almost detaches you from the from the seriousness of it. Is there something? Absolutely. Say? I mean, I'm a bit of a clown. I mean, if you look at the Twitter feed, it's it's predominantly jokes. And well, I know I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously that's a it's a tricky thing to balance with such a serious subject. It's such important subjects to be talking about. Yeah. And it's it's about trying to be funny and sensitive at the same time. I'm a huge fan of um Catelyn Moran as a writer, and I kinda wanna be what she is to feminism 
to the neurodiversity community, a lot of humour to open up the dialogues. And it's been a tricky balance to get with the book, and I think that's where the comic book stuff helps immensely because it's a lot of the comic stuff is just accounts of you know little adventures I've had or things that have happened and they're the personal bits and then it breaks away into written chapters to get more into detail because I yeah. think especially with you know what I've noticed with the neurodiversity stuff is you have to word things very de- delicately I think a lot of the arguments online everything boils down to semantics yeah. so it's that's been the the most precise thing we've had to do and then with the comic books and the personal stuff i can be a lot more expressive and free so it's it's like this whiplash effect really of you've got these personal accounts and a lot of them do tend to end on an optimistic note because i think that was the benefit of writing them i think if it's in your head it can be negative so there's a huge chapter about a trip to london that's super overwhelming but then when you write it in a book it's okay he's gone on this trip to london it's been super overwhelming for him he's had a bad time but then later on in the book he's going to go back to london and fight that and it's it's very that's the most difficult bit i think is writing this in a way that's not bleak and then it's not mocking and making light of everything that goes on so it's a difficult balance and i think someone trying to i'd sooner be a comedian than a social commentator if that makes sense but i know the two are basically married anyway well i suppose the word comic is the is part of the key there um and i'm thinking about the classic um tragic comedy kind of people like robin williams you know probably for one of a better example no i think that would be the perfect example i think he's a huge hero of mine and obviously the sadness around that is quite distressing to see and i know a lot of stand-up comedians and most of them struggle with depression and Mm. mental health is an important topic and you know i mean look at the way comedy is tending to go now a lot of stand-up shows have this point to them um hannah gadsby a fellow autistic and you know that She's her show was, yeah, her show, Nanette was an important part of me trying to work out who I want to be and what my voice wants to be. And that, again, it's perfect. It's the, it's marrying humour with a really serious topic. And it's, you've got to find this balance. And when you get that balance, it's good. But I think if, if it swings too much into mockery and jokes, it can be really upsetting to people. And then if it goes too serious, it's no longer funny, it's no longer entertaining, and you can lose the engagement. Wow. Sounds like you've got it sus, Therese. Um, I think the, the questions you're putting forward are definitely the ones that like have just been ticking away in my mind. These are the huge fears of mine. And, I mean, the internet is such a volatile place at the moment. Yeah. And it's that's a huge worry of mine. It's frightening to be running a Kickstarter at a time where, one, there's a boycott against Kickstarter because of their anti-union stance. And it's, I can't, <laughs> I can't agree with what they're doing. But then at the same time, I can't condemn them and encourage the boycott because then my book would fail. And it's this horrible catch-22 of this moral struggle I'm in. But hey, you've got a book, you know, and that's a tangible object. Absolutely. And, you know, if you pay £10 for the book on the Kickstarter, okay, a pound goes to Kickstarter. And it's... I don't know. I'm in two minds about this because if, if someone I've had, I think two people now have came to me and said, I can't support Kickstarter, but I want this book. Is there anything we can do? And I can't, I can't hold a grudge against them because I completely understand the fight. But then I also, the problem with the internet is there's a lot of punches being thrown. And I think a lot of them can tend to go in the wrong direction. And it's, that's the one thing that gets me a little bit disenfranchised about neurodiversity and stuff. And I know that's, it's not what neurodiversity is attacking people but there's individuals within neurodiversity who do attack people and it it gives it a bad image well there's a big debate of of judy singer who coined it i don't know 20 or 97 i think think. yeah so so yeah she's on twitter and 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 um this it's it's quite amusing it's quite interesting how how this term is being shaped yeah i mean i noticed this when i when i went on my 
well, two years ago, I got diagnosed in 2014, and then two years ago is when I got on that course, and I, and there were, well, there 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 are militant, almost militant elements. To it. Yeah, this is a huge concern. Um, well, well, I mean, everybody's entitled to their own stance, and but what I'm, my, what I'm saying is that you have a term like that neurodiversity even the term autism is there's no biomarker you don't know what it is and everybody you know the nature of it is that it presents completely differently in every single person so it's almost like a quantum kind of effect that's what i'm really and then you could tie that into the world of social media i mean i was thinking about this when i I reread the book recently a lot of my stuff comes through this frame of you know it's 2019 we live in a world where social media is it's almost everything if you're not on social media it's almost like you don't exist and you know i I was of the age where i was i was just entering my teen years when the internet first really became a thing and it's interesting being of that generation where you, you kind of did have that life without it and then you do have this life of it i mean it'll be the same for you and then I mean, when did you first get involved with like the the neurodiversity Twitter? Um, probably two years ago. Because for me, it was. I, I'm I'm even pretty. It's pretty easy for me to nowadays. It's pretty easy for me to take it or leave it. I think that's definitely the destination I'm starting to see. Yeah. In my site. Um, I'm lucky that I've got a community here that I had to instigate myself with the autism dialogue thing that that's been going for two years as well. So there's a bunch of really great autistic people and 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 allies that I work with on the ground, and that's that's the key. That's wonderful, man. And it's see, I only got involved with you know the the Twitter lot, the the hashtags, the you know, the dramas, the fights, <laughs> the threads. It was it came as a result of I had a meeting with a proper publisher for the book. And she ex- the the only concern was they liked the book but they didn't like the way I was so I was on the back seat of social media. I I had one thousand followers when was that about three, four months ago when we had that chat. Mm. And it was a case of you need to get in with that community, you need to find your audience. Okay. And that was it. And it's, right. you know, ninety percent of it is brilliant. But I think, I think the fights are usually punching in the wrong direction. And that was from their commercial point of view, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's basically make sure the audience is there. And yeah. But the problem was, once I found the audience was there, it started to make more sense to do it myself. Yeah. And I don't know. I think publishing in any means be it traditional or crowdfunding or what i was going to do is a company called unbound which is essentially a combination of crowdfunding and traditional publishing um but yeah either way it's a gamble and it got to the point where this year starting to come to a close a lot of big influential people on neurodiversity were announcing their own books and i felt you know october is the month to do this mm. and that wouldn't have happened with any other publisher so unfortunately that didn't go ahead um mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the main thing about that was, you know, being told to go out and find that audience, which was one, it was it was an amazing thing to do. And, you know, my Twitter is a completely different place now. It's like 5,000 followers and I actually get likes on my tweets. I never used to get that. It used to just be kind of me shouting into the void. And it's, that's been wonderful. But I think a lot of the discussions around it, I'm going to sound really horrible and I don't want to badmouth anyone because I think everyone's doing a great job, but it's... It's okay. It's already been said. If you, have you listened to my interview with Steve Silberman? Yeah, I mean... He he mentions it. I mean, there's a lot of fighting. Yeah. There's a lot of emotion. It's human. Yeah, but I think it's the, the Ouroboros. It's the snake eating its own tail with a lot of these fights because... I mean, I, I, I get the impression that this, this fight about you know the terminology and the pronouns has been going on since the the day someone got a twitter account and it's still it's still the same thing every day oh yeah it's it always will be but i mean there's levels of sophistication of 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 argument and and semantics 
I, I understand that the semantics and the pronouns and people's identity is incredibly important. It's so important. Yeah. So I'm not having a go at people who want the names and the pronouns and the labels. My issue is we need to move on from that. And this is, it's when, I don't know, I guess entry level, you come into this scene and that's what you see. You see the arguing about the semantics, but I don't know, I just think we need to go forward in the direction a bit. And I know everyone's been, not everyone, but there's been a pitch on, it's like LinkedIn for neurodiversity 2.0. I think someone's trying to kind of make that their thing and be the figurehead of that. And I kind of agree and I kind of don't. I think what they're saying is what we need is this kind of next wave of momentum and movement. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, this is going to make me sound sexist or someone will accuse me of sounding sexist, but I've always compared it to like a movement like feminism yeah. for lots of reasons. I mean, I think I think it needs to be, like, you know, we've got waves in feminism for, you know, when there's been big radical changes in, you know, the, the rights and stuff they were campaigning for, which again yeah. is what neurodiversity wants. So I think we can split up into waves, but I don't think we need this kind of rebranding or someone taking the name and making it their product. That's not good. But I think in terms of moving forward, that's what we need. But then also like feminism, because of the fightiness, there's there can be an outside view that we're aggressive. And I think, so like, if you go to like your sexist bloke in the pub, he'll go, oh, feminism, it's just women who hate men. And... I think I worry that this is what would happen to neurodiversity. I think when you, you're, I think I worry to an outsider looking in, it looks like, oh, they're just a bunch of people who fight all the time and they're, they hate neurotypicals. They're always having a go at neurotypicals. And I, I really hate when it goes in that direction. So, so the internet's a beast is, 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 you know, and it's very, very, very dispersed. It's, it's, it's almost not really a community in my in my view, but I it think, would be a set of cliques, a lot smaller. Well, what so we can do, what we can do, is affect the the world around us. I think if we try and affect a world that's too big, we're going to make very little impact. Oh, absolutely. It's but I think what you're doing, and you know, and and picking up what's going on in the wider world to feed into your knowledge. But if we take that as a complete picture, we're going to be struggling. I think we can only really fight, you know, uh, our small encompassing surroundings. And, and I mean, yeah. change, affect change. That's what I mean. So, I mean, like this, this book, in the grand scheme of things, it's a pebble. Yeah. But if you throw that pebble in the lake and then you throw a hundred other pebbles in the lake, eventually you're going to be able to see the pebbles above the lake. And that's... Yeah, that's that's when stuff's going to start happening. That's it. That's nice. So when so have you been drawing all your life then? Have you, is it, have you always? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I draw in a way that any kid would. Yeah. Um, and art was a nice topic at school. It's something I enjoyed because I think it was a bit more free and loose and you know retrospectively. You've got a great was... style. I think. I think. Oh, that, thank you. I think so this all came about in 2015. Um, I was I was working for a loan company, a payday loan company, and I'd go door to door to collect the repayments. Yeah. And yeah, as morally, it's a horrible thing to be doing, and I think I was very. My autism makes me quite impressionable and easily led, and I was in a position where I, it was you know, debt collecting is an okay thing to do, but eventually, after two years of doing that. You know, my brain couldn't cope and I had a mild breakdown and I ended up on antidepressant stuff. And I was like, what, what am I doing here? What's, what's my life going to be? Yeah. And um, I mean, the money there was amazing. (laughs) Thousands of pounds a week sometimes. And it was a case of, I could have this money. I could settle down and have a normal life, but would I be happy doing this? Can I, can I sleep at night? Yeah. Question is no. I can't sleep at night anyway because I've got insomnia, but <laughs> on a moral level. And it was New Year's Eve. I made the New Year's resolution. I was like, you know what? I'm, I, I, I like comics. I like reading comics. Superhero movies are a big thing. I'm going to make a comic book. I'm going to quit this, whatever this is, and just, you know, do something. Put something out there. I can say, oh, look, I've done something with my life. And I made like a little 30 page horror comic that's kind of mental health based. 
and it went really well. So did you? So did you have an influence on, or did you just teach yourself to draw? Yeah, I could not draw. If you look at that comic compared to stuff I'm doing today, okay. you can see this huge learning curve. If you follow, there's a lot of people who followed my career from that. They bought that comic, they liked that comic, but then they've watched it kind of go off into the stratosphere. And yeah, it was a case of just learning as I go along and improving as I go along. You know, with anything I do, it needs to be better than one before. So this interview, it's going to be. A, better than the interview I did before and so on and so on it's about just kind of climbing that ladder well given my interview skills we'll see oh no this is wonderful man I'm I'm, I'm being expressive in a way that I wouldn't normally be in terms of so a lot of my thoughts and opinions sure um I'm 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 aware that um you're probably gonna get quite quite a following and I think you know it feel, feels quite optimistic that you will be part of you know the vanguard because just feel, just just the vibe and the fact that you got something tangible you got accessible and very accessible the drawings you know you only need to I don't need to read the book read the read the comic I only need to look at the the pictures you know for one thing if I don't well, that's the other thing as it's it's, it's a novel slash comic hybrid yeah and it's it's you could probably get away with just reading the comics and understand it, yeah. or you could probably get away with just reading the text and understanding it. Because yeah. um, going back to what we were saying about trigger warnings and stuff, yeah. um, when I was reading the adult with the autism diagnosis, that's when it occurred to me that separating things is a smart way to go for an autistic crowd. Cause you know, I can quite openly talk about relationships and sex, you know, that's a subject I'm comfortable with, yeah. but when it's workplace, autism mm. due to my experiences i really struggle with that mm-hmm. so i don't really want to talk about it and when i had those books i didn't really want to read about it i didn't want to face that at the time it was very upsetting yeah. to me so i just skipped over that chapter and i didn't miss anything because it's confined within that chapter mm. so to an extent i've tried to do that with mine it's weird and the chapter titles will explain you know there's one on sex relationships there's one on social media friendships hobbies workplace and then that way you know, if if you're reading at home, you've had a bad time in one of those fields, so it's not the sort of thing you really want to be yeah. looking at right now. Skip over it, and you won't feel the damage of that later on in the book. Yeah. Cool. So what? Um, so comic fans are going to love it. Um, can you have you got any influences, and in can you compare it to anyone, any artists? And um, what would you say? I'm going to tack on a third bit. What would you say to to budding um, artists? Um, so yeah, in terms of in this field, there's, it's a genre that's gone on to be called graphic medicine. Um, so within that, you can kind of do what you want. You could do a fictional story, or you could do a very serious medical journal <laughs> with say, pictures. Say what you mean by graphic medicine. Um, I don't really know what it means. It's, it's something that I was introduced to through doing autobiographical stuff, and I guess it's using the medium of comics to improve people's lives and you know be that it could be a chart in a doctor's office that's a bit of a comic book about any sort of condition or getting a mole checked but then it can go into something that's you know these huge books about living with disabilities and okay i'm this isn't my first autobiographical comic i did one in 2017 called the blue flame which was an account of my time at the loan company and the the moral stakes and traumas I experienced through that and then the decision to quit all of that to make comics it's kind of this not an underdog story but I think it's a story of a man seeking redemption and you know being self-aware enough to admit that one can be a bad guy sometimes and that was what really kind of got me out into the the comic scene and becoming name known for that sort of thing Um, because I was hugely inspired by there's a lot of autobiographical comics that Sometimes slide into graphic medicine, sometimes social mm. commentary. Mm. Um, there's Persepolis that's about the Persian Revolution. There's um, The Spiral Cage by Al Davison, who actually lives in Coventry as well. He's got an art studio here. Um, he's wrote, he's on his second graphic novel now about living with spina bifida. You know, they said he'd never make it past childhood. They said he'd never walk. And he's, he's gone on to do all these things. And it's an uplifting tale of a man with a disability but doing more in his life that you know your man on the street would so yeah it's 
that's where the inspiration came from to do something autobiographical and really put my heart out there on the line. Um, yeah. But that that has risks in itself because obviously you're putting everything out there and it can it can both make you stronger and vulnerable. And I guess that's where my advice would lie to people who you know. And it does happen. People approach me saying they want to do something autobiographical or share their experience, and it's a case of just be careful. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the artwork and stuff, you you could do stick figures and it'd still be good as long as it's telling the story. I'm not really too critical on comic art and stuff. I know my peers would be, and I'd I'd leave that to them because I'd say they're probably more educated on the matter because I'm self-taught. But yeah, it's okay. So I really like the fact that that you that you um, situated in in autobiographical comics um I, I weren't exactly assuming that all all comic artists are but because they're probably not but the fact that you are and and that you've got that that warning is interesting as well um brené brown and you know the whole thing about vulnerability in leadership comes to mind yeah and it's to the strength that's where it gets tricky and um I had a boss of mine actually inbox me last night. Um, basically, like we lost two backers on the Kickstarter, and for some reason I let that get to me, and I, I made a Facebook post about it, which was stupid. <laughs> but I tried to format in a way like, "Oh, we've lost people. Come on, comrades, let's get some backers." And yeah, he inboxed me. He's like, "Dude, you're being too vulnerable now." Okay. And it's I get that. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where the the authority and the the leadership qualities come in, and it's. The reality is I think a lot of us project success and I know that is the secret to success is, you know, you fake it till you make it. You know, I don't know if this book is the, a really good book, but I'm going to go around telling everyone it's a really good book. And <laughs> it's about just this, this outer confidence. And then when the inner confidence doesn't match up and comes to the surface, yeah. it, it's a bad look. And it's I'm trying to find the balance. I'm trying to find that balance between I'm vulnerable, but also I can I can handle it when the time's right. Well, it's a process, isn't it? Life. Yeah, and especially with autism, I found it's about finding these balances and things. Yeah. Um, you know, in in every aspect of it, I talk a lot about the relationships and how, you know, I'll date one person and I'll go in so hard, heart on my sleeve, very intense emotionally, and then it will all go wrong. So I'll swing the other way and then be really guarded and almost put on a completely new mask and be a different person. Yeah. And that will be its its own flavour of disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's this art of finding the middle ground where you know. Yeah. You're cool, but you're also open. It's it's very complicated. <laughs> no, I think I think that um, your book's probably going to do that really well. And from what I've seen and what you've Thank said you. today, earlier on about about using your personal examples, and I've always believed that. The, the highest form of teaching is is by example, um, and I think I think it looks like you're going to be doing that really conscientiously and, and in an, in an entertaining, fun way, tackling an amazingly serious topic. So, thank you so much. That's a really nice way of looking at. It. I've never really looked at it that way before. Okay, but I guess subconsciously that's probably what I wanted. I don't want fame or fortune. I mean, I I I'm fine. I can live a life but but then there is that hunger to be to fill that gap in the market to have that hit to be you know celebrated for something and but then it's there's a lot of detail in this in the book about ego and self-awareness and i think i can with projecting success again take it to this extreme and yeah act like i'm the best and the the bee's knees when the reality is you know i'm probably just an okay writer <laughs> Is it is this your full time thing then? Um, to an extent, yes. Um, illustration and art is a thing that's getting me by now. I mean, two years ago when it all kind of went wrong, that's when the it really became a disability for me. Um, but then, as is the, the, the topic of the week on Twitter this week, is just about how the NHS and the DWP and stuff take care of these things, and I've essentially been left to my own devices, and then eventually support networks or things that you thought were support networks fall away and you do find yourself alone. Mm. But 
and I guess that's this is the tricky thing. No one should ever be in that position where they don't have the support networks or be alone. But then sometimes the best case scenario from that is you, you pull up your bootstraps and you become stronger for it. And you know, I'm I'm out there fighting for you know illustration work or getting this book to be successful because mm. if it's successful, I can you know I can buy my friends and family Christmas presents this year. That's <laughs> that's my thinking of it, and it's. Well, I think you're going to probably make um, a few people a little bit more aware and a little bit more kind of yeah, absolutely. that they don't always have to go on Twitter. They can just pick up a comedy. They don't even have to turn the internet on, pick up your, yeah. pick up your book. And I think that's the, the thing with Twitter is even when you're doing it as a big, long thread, you're, you're limited by that word count. You're limited by the way it's being. In a way, that's great because you're, you're basically saying it as it is. You're throwing it straight out there. But a lot of the nuance can be lost, and as we've, you know, I think we, what we've learned today is nuance is everything with autism. Yeah. So it needs that word count. It needs, you know, it needs ten pages of comic books just to get one point across. It's if you think about if you think about like jumping on your bed with a book, the battery's not going to run out on a book, is it? It's a lot more relaxing. <laughs> and you can't fight back with a book until you've heard it out. I think that's the other thing as well. So it's like. This this was a huge fear as well. It's like I'm in a position where you could take one sentence of that book out of context and absolutely destroy me because I I will say it's a disability. But then if you look at the whole paragraph, it goes it's a whole disability. But yeah. and then I think that's the you know I think this is the conversation that needs to be being had the the nuance of it rather than the polemics, the extremes yeah. of it. I think that's ultimately what I'm going for there. And make it entertaining, make it funny. I want people to. You can laugh at me. You can laugh at the, the bizarre and strange things I've done because it is funny. Yeah. But it then you also, while you're laughing, you're also taking on board the seriousness of it. Yeah. Awesome. And I think, but hopefully that'll be a nice new approach to get the message across. Um, I'm not saying I'm the first like person to make jokes of autism. I've named people who were there before, but you know, it's uh, on the bookshelf. It's a lot of serious stuff. Even some of the autobio stuff can be incredibly heavy, incredibly straight and serious. Yeah. And I think, but life isn't like that. Life is every genre, and hopefully I've yeah. found that balance. So, so yeah. And um, I noticed. Um, I suppose we can start to wind up now. Um, um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, you're gonna. You've got these stretch targets. Does that mean, say, if somebody's in 10 quid already for the paperback and if you switch it if you meet a stretch target to four grand or whatever it is does that mean those same people will now get a hardback instead of a paperback yeah absolutely so cool the the original target would make it a modest success you know it'll get hundreds of books printed out to everyone who needs it and a few independent retailers the more money you get the more i can afford to open up these networks to larger stores do some events i really want to get into public speaking do like a half stand-up half serious talk so the stretch goals were then in place because we hit the target so early we need some sort of motivation to draw more backers in so it's it's an upgrade essentially yeah um you know we hit that target i then have the means to make it a bigger success i can afford a larger print run which means hardback copies are actually financially viable and they don't cost hundreds of quid each um so yeah you know if it's on about, it's almost at three grand now. When we hit three grand, everyone gets some pin badges completely free. If you backed it before we hit the target, you get it. Any, yeah, ev- every and all backer gets it. Yeah. So it's a great motivation for the backers already to share it around, keep spreading that word. And then it's a n- motivation for new backers to come on because not only do they get their copy of the book, they're also contributing in a way that they're about to unlock a pin badge for the hundred people who came before him. Right. So he's. <laughs> You know, it's it's win 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 for everyone involved. <laughs> nice. Okay. And um, have you got um, a URL or, or do, do we need to go to your Twitter account too? Um. Yeah, I, d- I don't actually have a website at the moment. I actually took it down. Um. I think Twitter is the best place to divert the traffic through. I think that's. Well, why that's where not you're on Twitter? If you're not on Twitter, there's Instagram. Um. Everything is at Reesey Time. Um, and then there's just Reese Finley on Facebook. That's a good place to get me. But oh. if not, the Kickstarter is a great place to be. If you are outside of social media, we do little blog updates once a week. And then through there, we get, you know, you'll be linked through to the podcast like this one and 
radio shows and vlogs and whatnot so you get all the content and the story as it goes along um well as i learned yesterday i, I don't want to be too vulnerable mm. out there but i also want to share the highs and lows of doing a kickstarter of making a book of you know it's one thing to put yourself out there on a personal level with a book because obviously you know you're not quite airing dirty laundry but there's you know there's juicy things in there that people might want to see and I guess there's that fear that things can be taken the wrong way. And then when you add autism into that and observations on the community and the politics of it all, yeah. it's it's a hot potato that needs to just be like held with oven gloves until it's completely ready to come out and be seen in its proper context. But so yeah, it's it's... At, at Reesey Time, R-E-E-S-Y-T-I-M-E. Yep, that's the one. Um, we'll put some links in the description down below. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's. I think the Twitter would be the the best place, I and mean, that's where the conversation happens, and we have to be part of that. Nice one. Yeah, it's very live, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. Um, I, it's funny because I'm a I'm a pod, I'm a fairly new podcaster host, and I, my brain struggles. I think it's the executive dysfunction thing, with knowing that. A, this isn't actually going out live. I'm kind of there's this nervous thing because it's the um, it might be my age, but I think because it's because it's on a computer, everybody can yeah. see it. But but we're going to be able to edit it a little bit, and 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 then we got we've got the video and we've got the um, the audio going out on on Anchor FM, and that'll go through to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, um, and so. On, on my side of things, that's uh, flow space or autism dialogue, one of those two things, you'll, you'll find all this. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, no, I think it's, it's been a great opportunity to really get into the, the meat of, I think, the subjects we're trying to do. I mean, I, I did a radio interview last week, and it was so short. I started talking about the issues of the social media extremism, and it comes across as I look really angry and right wing. It's, it's like the opposite of what I wanted to say. And now I'm really worried about how it's going to sound when it goes out. But yeah, that's that's the thing, just nuance. And, you know, anyone listening who likes the fights and stuff, like I used to, I think it took me a lot to realise that the outrage culture needs a little bit of readdressing. Yeah. But other than that, just just love love everyone. Be Be kind to people and understand that while we're all in the same boat, we're all separate people. And I think that needs to be remembered as well so you know what is an experience in your head is completely different to someone else and it's just about respecting that you've just said something really profound just after i stopped recording <laughs> <laughs> i like that boat metaphor i think i might need to write that down write it down um and tweet it <laughs>